I obviously have to say that it's all about storytelling. And uh, I think we've seen some really interesting news pieces. And there was also more interesting work in academia. I'm not going to call this the year of storytelling, but I think we're, you know, people are making progress and it's becoming a real, real topic. There's, there's a lot of examples of uh, satellite imagery and, and drone footage as well. And I guess on the, on the same issue of, is it a gimmick or is it not? Is it lasting? From my perspective, I've seen a lot of mentions of the word virtual reality. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash datastories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash datastories. everyone data stories number 65 hey moritz how's it going good how are you enrico i'm good things? i'm good we are at the end of the year finally yes. we made it another year crazy another year crazy 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 so that's this episode is actually about what happened in 2015 it's our classic now year review and um, we have two classic guests, of course. We have Andy Kirk from Visualizing Data. Good afternoon. Good evening. How are you, Andy? I'm good, thank you. And we have, of course, Robert Cosara from Tableau Software. Hey, Robert. Hi, good morning. It's really early here. <laughs> hey. how's, how's it going? Great, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Very good. Um, so, as usual, we want to go through what happened, the main highlights of uh, 2015. And um, I guess we want to start by talking a little bit about data stories. Um, so it looks like 2015 has been our most prolific year ever, with a total of two 22 episodes, including this one. Yay. So, Moritz, <laughs> not, nice one. not bad. We've We're been now working in the quantity really business. Hard. Very good. <laughs> <We> are, <yeah. laughs> no, it's been great. We really, we had a good, like, we finally have a good rhythm, I think. And uh, that's also because we have some great help from Destry, who is also now listening and helping yeah. us with the chaptering, and Florian, uh, who is doing the audio production. So, it's really great to have some help. And I think it, it shows. A bit. Yeah, so yes. thanks, Destry and Florian. It's a lot of help from your side. Yeah. And of course, we also want to thank our sponsors who've been supporting us throughout the whole year. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, what else? We have to thank our guests, of course. We had 22 guests. Or maybe even more. Did we have Might any have been episode? More, with? Actually, yeah. 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 <laughs> Who knows? More. We need to come. Who knows? We great guest this year. <laughs> uh, we also want to thank Visualized for hosting our meetup. That was really good. So we had the chance to meet a few people face to face, a few listeners, and that was great fun. Yeah. And uh, what else? Of course, we have to thank our listeners. So thanks for listening to us. That's you. And <laughs> that's you. <laughs> <laughs> So, and um, Moritz, you wanted to mention the top episodes of the year? Yeah, if you're interested. So the most downloaded episodes this year were, number one, British, uh, Amanda Cox on her work uh, with the New York Times and working with R. And it's it's been, yeah, Amanda is just fantastic. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't listened to this one, definitely download it. Uh, on place two, we have uh, Science Communication uh, with Jen Christensen. She's art director at the Scientific American. It was a fantastic episode as well. 
And the third one was on visualizing human development with Max Rosa. So he runs Our World in Data, great site about world statistics. So these are three really, really good uh, episodes. And these were the most popular ones this year. Yeah. So if you didn't listen to them or you are new um, to our podcast, that's a very good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so guys, uh, we have a long list. We want to start with the major trends of 2015. Um, Andy, you want to start? Mm. Well, the, the first one that I've got on my list today is to discuss the emergence this year in particular of cartogram techniques, um, hexagon bin maps, grid maps. There's a lot of different terms applied to them. But certainly around, uh, from my perspective in the UK, certainly around the time of May when the UK elections were taking place, there was just an explosion of coverage. So a lot of the media over here in particular were starting to use this um, this kind of constituency map of the UK broken down to squares or hexagons as an alternative way to show the, the composition of the political voting system in the UK. And it just seems to be a, ve a very popular approach. I think the, the most um, standout example was the BBC did a huge outdoor, almost jigsaw puzzle based mm. on these hexagons forming the different seats in the uh, in the elections, and that was a, a live updated thing that they were doing throughout the course of the of the evening. So, um, I mean, I, I, over your side of the pond as well, there's been plenty of discussions around what is the correct composition of the states of the US. How do you fit in <laughs> Hawaii and Alaska and where neighboring states should be? But it seems to be the year where this has really kind of hit the uh, hit the airways quite consistently. Nice. Robert, what's your major trend of to 2015? Well, I was here to say that it's all about storytelling. And uh, I think we've seen some really interesting news pieces. Like, uh, I think the, that was this year, that was the, the hottest year on record by Bloomberg. They did a really good job there. Uh, there were actually several around global warming that were really good, that were actual stories. And there was also more more interesting work in academia that was looking at that. So there were a number of papers at the VIS conference and at Eurobiz and at CHI that all looked at different aspects, different techniques of that, that people use for that, trying to to find out how memorable visualizations are and, and so on. And I think that there was some really good work this year uh, in this area. So I'm not going to call this the year of storytelling, but I think we're, you know, people are making progress and it's becoming a real real topic that, that people are really working on in, in all areas. Yeah, and, and people definitely go beyond simple steppers and, and or long scrolling sites by now. So I think that's that's a good a good thing. Uh, and I think it's also many it's a it's a wider base of media organizations. It's not just the classic no. two or three. It's it's you know it's a dozen or so that you can think are very prominent in this space right now. So it's it's definitely a trend. Maybe that's generally true that data journalism has improved quite a bit, especially in this sort of mid zone, like not the really big players. I think they, they keep delivering really high quality, yeah. but I can say in Germany, we have seen a lot of really, really good work also from a couple of previously unknown places. So that's, that's mm. really nice to see. Enrico, how about you? Well, I have a, at least a couple of trends to mention. The first one, I think we have seen a lot of uh, visualization applied to machine learning or using machine learning for visualization, also some image processing. So a lot of kind of computational approaches or using visualization to better understand these approaches. So I remember, I think there was what a deep dream from the Google team on visualizing what a 
neural network sees <laughs> it was pretty spooky so if you haven't seen it it's like <laughs> having images full of eyes and 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 yeah disgusting stuff but um there are some serious developments in, in hindsight it was a pretty bizarre <laughs> period of our lives <laughs> was it a dream yeah, well, yeah sure. exactly but i think maybe there was some lsd in the, in the water <laughs> yeah. I don't know. so yeah neural networks are full of lsd and um yeah, so I think that's that's definitely one of the most interesting trends, uh, and uh, I would love to see more visualization people collaborating with machine learning people to yeah. uh, do things even better, right? Machine learning and AI have been huge this it's year. Been huge, I, I, I want to know how it plays out next year. If it's more like a hype or if it's uh, something substantial. I don't think so. Yeah. My yeah, I think yeah. it's gonna stay. You're in the, <laughs> you drank the Kool Aid. Very good. <laughs> I, um, I did. <laughs> you mentioned image processing. I think that was very interesting. That a lot of work refer to images like combining photography or taking lots of photos i'm not uh, <laughs> that's your yeah. work <laughs> i'm a bit guilty in this area too but yeah. uh also working with videos or taking yeah. images as material or synthesizing images like this whole relation of of um phot photography and videography mm. and and data visualization has become very interesting and I, i'm i'm looking forward to next year i know there's a book coming out on that so oh, yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of examples of uh, satellite imagery and, and drone satellite. footage as well yeah, yeah. which Absolutely. i've seen a lot yeah. of uh, yeah. uh, been used um and i guess on the, on the same issue of is it a gimmick or is it not is it lasting from my perspective i've seen a lot of mentions of the word virtual reality Oh yeah, over the absolutely. Last six, six months, yeah. and um, I know that in in the states, you guys um, had access to the uh, the cardboard viewer that the New York Times sent exactly. out. I think was it to a, a million households or something like that. But I've not actually explored it other than within the, the the desktop browser. But what do you guys think about the 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 nature of that? Is it something here for the long term, or is it just a passing a passing gimmick? I think we have to see. It's definitely uh, an initial trend that we are mm. seeing there. Experimentation. Um, it's. I think. Yeah, it needs a lot of experimentation. Um, I guess from the academic side, there there has been a very long history of criticism of three D <laughs> representations, yeah. right? And um, I'm pretty sure it's uh, somewhat unjustified in certain under certain conditions, and it's an area that needs to be explored uh, uh, a little more. I think that once um, VR viewers are much more uh, affordable as they are now, people will start exploring much more. So um, this year I've been visiting NASA in, uh, the, what when was that? In April. And I've been, they showed me a VR system where you can actually see abstract data, InfoVis data, kind mm -hmm. of like 3D scatter plot of some sort. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are effective at all, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, That's it, cool. but it's, it, I have to say, I think there is definitely space for experimentation, right? And, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what is going to happen in 2016. I put my money on augmented reality. Yeah. Nobody talks about it right now, yeah. but it's been huge like five years ago and it makes much more sense, honestly, because VR by definition captures all of your like attention and all of your yeah. visual space and, yeah. I think with mobile devices, 
augmented reality makes makes much more sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was done in in these very kind of low low impact ways. Like Yelp had this thing where you could hold up your phone and it would show you the locations of the restaurants that you were looking for, like overlaid yeah. on a map and things like that. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. I'm I'm not clear on on where VR is going. There's obviously games and and this and and then what the New York Times has done is these kind of immersive experiences to show you to kind of give you a sense of a place. Mm. But 360 video for, and so on. Mm, right. Mm, yeah. But for data visualization, I'm not sure if this is going to go anywhere. But yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll keep watching, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. And from my side, I think another trend is that we have seen a lot of new data-related podcasts. So that's that's an interesting trend. Competition <laughs> rivals. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's Breathing fine. Breathing down our necks. <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a few ones, and some of them are really successful. So that's 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 great. I think the more the better. Um, yeah, and Andy, you wanted to mention something about mobile based yeah, mobile devices. It, it's, I guess it's a sense that there's still um, a certain tension between whether in visualization itself there is mobile first or desktop first and mobile second. Um, I mean, certainly for a, not, a lot of the news organizations, I, I sense that they're rationalizing that because of the traffic coming from mobile, that's kind of where their perhaps first priority is. But clearly the limitations of space of a smartphone screen, for example, means that there's a certain lack of, um, you know, scope for some of these bigger projects. And I, I was really struck by a comment, this is actually more than a year ago, from... Um, Scott Klein of ProPublica, mm -hmm. who talked about their strategy being actually desktop first. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but desktop first. And then the compromise for mobile was simplify or smallify. And I thought that was quite a nice little rule of thumb to get a sense of how they find a way to fit things on that smaller, smaller screen. So it's more of a, it's kind of a, once again, it's kind of a watch this space, but it'd be interesting to see where, if there's a fork in the road that news organizations take and others take or don't have that kind of tension with the need to tap into where visitors are arriving from. Yeah, but uh, from my view, it has become much more normal to start mobile first or do be fully responsive okay. at least. I think that's something that's this year, yeah, it, it has entered normalcy for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, moving on, what were the big issues and debates this year? What, what do you recall? <laughs> we had a few ones. <laughs> we had a few ones, of course. The visualization community is not shy of opinions, as we all know. <laughs> not shy of the same opinions as well. <laughs> I remember one early this year about visualization ethics. Like It, it touched um, on... Yeah, can we make beautiful visualizations of horrible events, mm. uh, yep. in short? Well, What's your take on this one? Yeah, I mean... So I didn't like this article. I didn't like the kind of discussion around this article. So this was about um, a piece of work done by, I think it was actually a British graphic designer. Um, a student, actually. Yeah, visualizing um, some of the issues around Hiroshima. And I recall there were, there were a few people on Twitter who said, you know, this is a really, not just disrespectful way to show it, but, you know, a really kind of misjudged and ill-judged way of showing death and, and people. And it was an article written in Fast Core Design, which kind of, which felt very one-sided um, because it, it kind of, it fell behind some prominent names who had said that this wasn't a particularly good piece of work. And actually it was more than not a good piece of work. And actually it was mm. a wrong approach. Uh, but the designer himself wasn't necessarily 
offer the chance to kind of respond and to kind of take part in a discussion. It was very one-sided. And I think in a, in a, in a, in a broader sense, and I was actually reflecting on this, looking at my teaching material slide deck, and there's so much of my uh, set of examples that involve projects about death. It's, it's, it's quite a morose uh, slide deck, actually. But um, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult matter because, obviously, so many of the subjects on which we have data and that are being reported now, whether it's terrorism-related deaths or mm. gun crime, have to visualise yeah. the victims and the people and whether that's a, a, a pixel per person or whether it's a person per person. It's a very difficult matter, and I don't think it's 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 really easy for us to judge a piece of work in the wild without knowing the context and the motives behind that single piece of work. Um, yeah, I, I think it turned out as a bit of a witch hunt, but that yeah. and it came back also from the meant, I think, that for many people it was like a burning issue in some way. And yeah, this guy was just pretty unfortunate to be at the wrong spot <laughs> at the wrong yeah. time. Um, and yeah, but... It's, it's a worthwhile yeah, discussion. It's one of the big tensions. Question. Like, how do you talk about these bad issues with statistics, which is horrible already, and then with data visualization mm. and design? That's there is a big tension there. Um, there was a great article, I think, by Hannah Fairfield. I'll have to find the reference on how you can maybe tackle that problem and mm. a few strategies to to go beyond just counting dead bodies, basically, yeah. and presenting like averages of, yeah. of counted. There's a great article as well by um, Sarah Sloban of the uh, Wall Street Journal. That was it. Actually. That's right, yeah. yeah like That's the one. Yeah. Visualization is people, I think it was titled or something. We'll have to find yeah. that for, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, for the post, but yeah. Yeah. And I think that touches on another debate we had, and uh, one from early this year, and uh, it's about the, the, the tone and the whole style of criticism in data visualization. <laughs> as we all know, it can be sometimes the community is nice, but sometimes they are like it's a bit uh, yeah, stormy are. weather sometimes. <laughs> and uh, Fernanda and Martin uh, Fernanda Viegas and Martin Wattenberg wrote a really nice and very considerate article on yeah how we can maybe take better care of our crit criticism culture and and our design and redesign culture uh, in data visualization and they put it up on medium it was written for uh, the malofier proceedings i think or the the conference um uh, proceedings more or less but they they put it up on the web and i think it's a great article mm. and it would be great if we all read it every two weeks and just stick <laughs> to the recommendations there i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there have been quite a few ones and yeah. uh I mean, I think on, on the same note, the, I mean, obviously, we have to acknowledge <laughs> the presence of the uh, Stephen Few article when he um, took exception to the uh, invitation by Alberto Cairo to to David McCandless to speak at, um, I think it was the University of Miami. Um, and it actually, it, it's not so much the, the contents of the debate, but what was very interesting was just the, the sheer amount of, of comments that were triggered by this. And, it, and it, I guess it kind of... For me, it snapped me out of the complacency that suggested that these discussions were in the past. Now it's clearly not; they yeah. were just kind of in the shadows. And you know, all it needs is one little spark, and things come back to the surface. But you know, we still exist in a in a field that has that um, separation between the kind of purist, dogmatic rule makers and followers, and and those that see a more flexible and pragmatic approach. And I think the bottom line is that everyone's right, but in different circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Andy. Yeah. Everybody's a winner. Second <laughs> winner. Let's shake our hands. 
<laughs> no, but I think it's interesting because in this debate, as well as the the ethics one, I think it it shows that there is a couple of people really frustrated with, or that's my reading at least, that some people are just frustrated that people get attention for doing data with wrong or, you know, doing it the wrong way. And they, you know, they get all the fame and <laughs> we are doing it right and nobody cares about us. So there seems yeah. to be some some tension but, there yeah. still. And you know, I see that as, as a flu. From time to time, there you have a few s spikes. People yeah. get very... Yeah, I don't know. There are lots I just of got into a Twitter fight but yesterday it, on data art. I, oh, I, yeah, should, I should know better. I should know better, but I can't. Oh, I don't know. Somebody's wrong on the internet. Somebody's wrong on is, the internet. Is it useful? I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Let's do work. It's much Can more important. Can we move on? Can we please yeah, move on? Let's move um, on. <laughs> so speaking of, speaking of Stephen Few, then, I guess, the other one that, that just came up uh, about a, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, is uh, Stephen Few's re uh, criticism of data visualization research in general and uh, a particular paper by uh, Michelle Borkin and others on uh, memorability. And that has sparked quite a, a discussion too, though it's in kind of a hidden place because this yeah. was uh, in uh, Stephen's newsletter that he sends out. And so it's not on his blog. And there is a separate forum, which I didn't even know about, that people have been posting in and, and that's gotten some responses from people like uh, Jeff Hare and, and Jean-Daniel Fiquet and others. And the, what, what happens is that, that Steve was, was criticizing this, this paper and he's going into some depth on that. And I'm not going to go through all the, the points here because it's way too long. But he also really attacks Michelle very directly and saying, well, she doesn't know the scientific process and she doesn't know how to do this kind of research. And he calls visualization in general a pseudoscience. And so <laughs> like the that. problem with that is that he's he's also kind of right because it's not it's not a hard science of course and there are some issues with that particular paper but he's just going way overboard and he's just just criticizing a lot of things there and uh, the discussion is trying to stay on track but it's also hard because people then get very technical and 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 it, it turns into this little you know, did I say this or did I say that? And what do you mean with this? So <laughs> it, it gets kind of tedious, but uh, I guess it's useful as a as a criticism. But it's it's also important to be reasonable and not try and just kind of insist on you being right and just kind of keep pounding on the same points. So I think it's in the end, you know, in a year it's going to be fine, but right now it's it's a bit of a, an, an, a difficult debate and, and a somewhat annoying debate because it's coming from uh, from a place of, of, of disdain and, <laughs> and, and, and a bit of a lack of respect for the work mm. that was done there. I think some reality check is fine. And mm -hmm. I mean, there is a danger, I think, in a successful field that you might just think everything's great. We're doing the right thing here. Oh, We're yeah. being successful. So some reality check is great, but I think at the same time, it's such a heterogeneous field. I'm still, I'm a bit confused that people can't accept that, that, well, this field is made up out of 10 different subfields, you know, <laughs> right. and yeah. there's all kinds of styles and schools and, and let's call it, let's all get along. It's uh, let's have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> let's you know? get a beer all together. Yeah, <laughs> is it so hard? Uh, whatever. Yeah. Can we move on? Please? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best projects of the year award officially here. Yeah. What were your favourites? Well, I'll just kick off this. I think we'll, this first one will speak on behalf of all of us, really. Dear Data, I know you had 
Georgia and Stephanie on episode two yep. episodes back. But um, yeah, I mean, I won't go over the details, but 52 weeks, data postcards, primary data on unique subjects related to each other's lives. And it was, um, you know, just a really terrific kind of artisan project that was universally popular. And we all look forward to the book next year about the project. Um, just two or three from me, I think, very quickly. Um, there was a fantastic piece by Bloomberg looking at the pace of social change, and it just kind of plotted the 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 evolution of the kind of legislation and legalization of different social issues like um, kind of gay marriage and interracial marriage and all these kind of things. And it just was a very simple design, but showed the kind of cumulative story of, of states legalizing these things year by year. And you could just see... You know the the essence of storytelling in this in the single chart. So that was a great one. Um, another one for me, which I only kind of spotted last week, but a hundred years of tax brackets by Vox dot com, which was terrific. Uh, a visual display of all the different complicated and less so tax bracket thresholds in in the US over a hundred years. The real essence of visualization, in my mind, you can see the data. Um, and I guess if I was going to flip a coin, the other one I would pick would be um, work. I think it was largely by Gregor, and I might be doing a disservice to others involved, but draw how family income affects children's mm-hmm. college chances. So this was a chance, oh, yeah. a chance for you to kind of participate, draw a, a line chart as you see the, the distribution going, and it kind of gave you the, the actual answer, and it built up a, a, a map of how everyone's guesses had built up over time. So that was a really terrific way to not just interact, but participate. Great. So I have a couple of projects from my side very quickly. Uh, I already mentioned the neural network stuff. Uh, There were a couple of projects. One is called Inceptionism, going deeper into neural networks. And the other one, very similar, understanding neural networks through deep visualization. Um, So, I mean, it's basically what I just mentioned at the beginning, uh, using visualization to see what a neural network sees. And um, another one is, that I would quickly want to mention is the one that we, um, is another one from Bloomberg called What's Really Warming the World, which actually we featured in the, in, in our podcast on data stories. Um, so if you haven't listened to this episode, uh, I suggest you to go there and, and, and listen to what they have done and why and how. So it's mostly a visualization of showing uh, uh, predictions on uh, what's, uh, warming the world based on um, a number of models generated by uh, uh, international groups of climate scientists. So mm-hmm. I found that those one that one very very well done, very well crafted, very simple actually, mm-hmm. but impactful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great stuff, really. I mean, I mean, for me, it, it were more the new format. So I'm now always looking for new new types of contents, new types of, of of narrative structures. What I really liked was Network Effect by Jonathan Harris and Greg Hochmuth. They compiled a, like really big collection of videos and images and and data around people's activities around the world. So basically, it's a lot of verbs, like what people do all the time and all the variations of how they do it and how long they've been doing it, according to Google book search and so on. So, um, and the site is a very intense, like bombardment really of, trippy. of information. <laughs> yeah, it's trippy. Exactly. And so that's good. Um, I also <laughs> like the Seagull Skytrails project. And there were a couple of these projects playing with long exposure, overlaying, as I said, like playing with video. And this one is a really nice one. Shows, um, yeah, the flight, flight paths of birds with, with different video tricks and so on. 
And the last one I just ran across today is <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and I wonder like why nobody else thought of that before, but it's a, a visualization by the New York Times about the interest rates, like super boring topic and thing, <laughs> but they built a Rube Goldberg machine, like a real physical setup where you start at one point, something falls over, hits the next thing, ball rolls down and so on uh, to explain how complex this, like changing the interest rate, what avalanche of effects that that puts into play and i think that was so it's just brilliant should have been, should have been a bar chart <laughs> yeah it's like man i can't read any data here like boring <laughs> no it's just so good and these things they stay in mind and they really give people new ways of thinking and uh, i love that about that yeah nice so robert you want to mention some uh, research academic developments happened in 2015. I know we mentioned some of them during our episodes, uh, our this conference episode, but I'm pretty sure you want to mention some some others as well. Yes, for sure. So there are a number of really interesting papers that that were published this year. Uh, so the to start off, of course, some of my own papers. So we had this <laughs> paper at <laughs> at the Kai conference on the isotype, which is this technique that was developed in the 1920s that uses little icons that stack up to become bars. And we we did some work on that and 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 showed how it works pretty well actually. And it's it, you would think that it's all chart chunk, but it really isn't. It actually works pretty well for memory and it doesn't get in the way. There's another paper that's coming out. It's not technically out yet, but it's uh, it's it's already pre-published. That is on the technique called the connected connected scatter plot, which is uh, basically just a scatter plot that they, that they connect the points in when they when there's time between them, and that is also really interesting because it gives you a way to to tie annotations to that and tell a little bit of a story about data through that. And then the last one, and then I'm going to talk about other people, but my student, Bruce Cow, <laughs> had a paper at Eurovis uh, that was about uh, bar chart embellishments, which are very common in, in infographics where people make charts that are basically bars, but that are that have little things on them, like, for example, uh, flags and uh, or kind of shapes like trees and so on. And we looked at what, what the impact was of those. And of course, we mostly found that they are bad for pro proper reading and precise reading of the data. But we also found that some of them can actually help. Like when there is a horizontal bar or kind of end thing at the top, that actually makes it easier to read the, the precise numbers. So it's can, it can be, um, it's, not, it's not just that everything's bad that, that you do to a bar chart. <laughs> And then uh, Enrico had, and one of Enrico's students, and I guess a few other people had a very interesting paper at Kai on deceiving visualization and how to, how to, how, how the things that you would expect to be deceiving, like when your baseline isn't zero for a bar chart or when you do things to, to uh, area charts and so on, how those are really being read the wrong way. And I thought this was really interesting because it put some science behind what people talk about, which is, oh yeah, of course you can deceive visualization, and of course it's wrong to do uh, to have a bar chart that it starts, doesn't start at zero. But now we have actual science that actually shows that. So I think this was really good. This was really interesting. And uh, I already mentioned Michelle Borkin's paper at at Viz. There were a few other papers that were a bit more in that area that kind of looked into things that are related to what you could call storytelling. So techniques that are a bit more oriented at presentation. But a particular one, that, that one, um, working at and others on memorability was really interesting because it really 
delved very deep into this question of what makes a visualization memorable and looked at eye tracking data and, and other things to figure out what do people actually remember. And what they found is that, that people actually remember a lot of text around the visualization. So they remember <laughs> the captions, they remember the title, they remember the text descriptions before they actually remember the data. And so, which is interesting because text gets ignored most of the time. Oh yeah. So that was that was interesting to see that that they really found that. Uh, and there were a few others, but I, I can't think of a, a particular one to, to point out right now. But there were there were a, f- a few papers that were quite interesting uh, yeah. around that. So I think there was some really good work in in the academic community, and and there's more more stuff coming next year. Some of the stuff that I'm doing, and I know other people are working on. So um, I'm, I'm seeing this as being a real a real thing now that's happening in, in, in visualization and in academia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, Robert, that we will see even more next year. That's, that's clearly um, a big trend going on. Uh, Andy, how about the literacy stuff? Last year, yeah. we've been mentioning a little bit what, what was going on in literacy. Um, I didn't do more research in this area myself, um, but I know that you are doing something. So what is going yeah. on there? Yeah. So this was something that was been running um, most of this year, but all of last year, a project called Seeing Data. And, and in a nutshell, we've been looking at the the perspective of readers, consumers, users, however you want to label those people. Um, and what kind of um, human factors you know, this is proper pseudoscience stuff. Um, what kind of factors really kind of help and aid or hinder the process of everyday people, which is, a, you know, once again, a horrible term, but everyday people are not visualization experts, shall we say, from getting the most out of visualizations? And what kind of factors can they express in their uh, remarks about the experiences that they went through? What things did they like? What things did they learn? What things they did cause them problems? Um, and so, you know, we, we have been looking at the the more kind of qualitative side of things, looking at the, the issues of things like subject matter, time and pressure that you're faced with to engage with something, confidence and familiarity with chart types, emotions, all these kind of things. So there is, you know, there's a lot to it that we've, I've started sharing a few posts on my website. We've done two of the three high-level write-ups of some of the kind of th- key things that we we found. But it's actually started the conversation rather than, you know, ended it by any, any stretch of the imagination. Just gives us a sense of what kind of things we might look to do in a, in a second round of research going forward with hopefully what will be a, a larger study and much more diverse set of visualizations and indeed people. Yeah. So actually this reminded me that there was a paper at VIS this year on how people learn to read uh, visualizations. Yeah. Uh, I think this was from, I, I think I remember it's at least ID Lamb and Jisoo Yi mm. and probably other people. I'm sorry, I don't remember their name. Robert, do you remember there? Who, who, who else? I don't remember there? the names, yeah. but I remember the paper. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were looking at how people get started uh, and how they, how they also, they had, they had a great name for this confusion phase. I, I forget yeah. what it's called, but they had a, a great term there. So much for memorability. That's right. <laughs> 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 but they were looking for, at how people struggle sometimes with these things because you, you're looking at something that, you know, you know certain chart types, but there was this whole discussion about scatter plots and how they can they be used in the New York Times and so on. And so they have this thing about how people, they look at, at something that they're interested in and then they try to figure out what it even t- is telling them. And then if it's if it's doable for them, they go through this kind of struggle phase to then figure it out. But they can also just be, 
at least rub their hands and say, okay, this is too hard for me. I don't mm. understand what this does. But uh, they did some interesting, it's very qualitative, but it's very interesting work on, on the kind of the phases that you go through and, and what you can do to help people. Yeah. I don't remember all the authors either or the title right now, but it's it's a yeah. really interesting paper. And that's what we've, we've arrived at. Yeah. I mean, literacy is a huge topic and I think we will do, we can promise that, to do a dedicated episode on that in, in the next year. Can we do that? We yes. can do that. Yeah, we can do <laughs> we that. Can do that. I, I think it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Enrico, any trends like from your end, like what, what stuck out this year as a um, important trends in academia? In academia, I think, I mean, uh, of course, what Robert just said, I think it's true. And um, what I noticed at this is that I've seen even more of this visualization done in the wild. So I think traditionally it's more the analytical part that has been done more in the wild, but I've seen a few papers uh, uh, that are more on the presentation side of things and done in the wild. So what I mean is mm -hmm. talking to people, trying to understand what are their practices, what are their problems, issues, and then building research on top of that. And I think that's an amazing trend. I think we need both. We need people going uh, in the wild and understanding what what practitioners are doing, what are their needs, as well as more theoretical stuff. So I think we need a good balance. So I mm -hmm. guess that's that's a really good trend. And at this, I have seen a few uh, papers on personal visualization or related topics. And I think that's going to be big because with all these new devices, uh, of course, we will see more visualization in these um, tiny, small uh, uh, devices, right? And um, I use a lot of applications on my phone and my I have a new Apple Watch. And uh, there are so many crappy visualizations there. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> terrible, right? All this mm. quantified self kind of stuff. I'm sorry, guys. Most of the existing visualizations are terrible. <laughs> and uh, we could have mentioned that as a big trend for this year. I totally uh, agree. Yeah. I mean, personal mm. data for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, yeah, that's that's. I think these are the, my my two main uh, mm -hmm. uh, things. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So this is a good time to take a little break to talk about our sponsor, Click. Data Stories is brought to you by Click who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at www.click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories. I just want to quickly suggest you a nice read from the Click blog, written by Click Design Specialist Murray Grigo McMahon, which is called People Are Smart, Data Literacy and Broad Audiences. If you've been listening to Data Stories for a while, you know that this is a topic that we really like to talk about. In fact, we do have an episode coming up soon on this topic. So in the post, Murray explains what data literacy is and how we can design visualizations that stretch people's literacy without necessarily shying them away. And he takes a notable example from the BBC's 2015 UK general elections, in which a familiar map has been turned into a less familiar one by using what is called hexagonal binning. I don't know if you are familiar with that, but it's basically turning each area into an hexagon of the same size so that the number of seats won is much, much easier to perceive overall. And I really like his comment. He says, this is not a basic data visualization, yet it was used for a mass audience with very diverse levels of data literacy. 
The important thing here is that it was meaningful, fit the context, and extended a concept that was already well known. So this is a really, really good point. So I strongly suggest you to give it a read if you're interested in this topic. You will find a link in our blog post. So thanks again to Click for sponsoring us. You can find out more on Click at www.click.de slash data stories. And now back to the show. So shall we move on to industry gossip? <laughs> Let's do that. Totally. What are the, the most, from your end, most notable like people, where companies, institutions, like what has changed? Did the expectations from last year get fulfilled? <laughs> and yeah. do you have any 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 um, tabloid news for us? Yeah, well, just flicking through the back pages, um, <laughs> I think the I think the the, the standout movement in the uh, in the field was the departure of Mike Bostock from the New York Times as well as Sean Carter. But obviously the the, the focus of of Mike next I think is what's under most interest. What happens to 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 D3.js and maybe other things around that. So that was a you know a significant um, milestone. Um, Certainly in the UK the appointment of uh, Alan Smith uh, Alan Smith OBE I should give him his full title. who left the Office for National Statistics Visualization Center and joined the Financial Times. So he's never worked in journalism before. So this is a completely new appointment, a new new role and position for him. Um, but certainly, you know, once again, from my perspective in the UK, the Financial Times has really started to uh, to produce some really good stuff over this last twelve months. Um, you know, and, and the appointment of Alan will only substantiate that further. So I think they're you know two or three of the, the main things for me. I think. Just from a, a, a celebration point of view, I think this has been the year of Gregor Aish. I think he's done some hmm. remarkable stuff for the yeah. upshot. Um, Team Europe. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Right, yeah. You so, should get yeah, Gregor yeah. on the show again sometime. Yeah, uh, yeah he had a fantastic year. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and talking about Team Europe, I was quite impressed with what's going on in the UK. So despite Andy being there, he <laughs> um, <laughs> can't drag everything down. So, no, there's lots of really nice, good studios from London. Like, there's After the Flood, there's Signal Noise. Uh, there's also Tekia, which I didn't know before, but I saw their work at the um, Big Bang Data Exhibition in London, where we also exhibited. They they do really interesting stuff. So I think that's that's interesting. There seems to be a good ecosystem of, of smaller but very um, ambitious companies now, right now in London. Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly catching up now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, domestic data streamers had a fantastic year. <laughs> we had them on the, on the show as well, like half a year ago or so, and they yeah. continued oh to do God. amazing stuff. I loved it. And yeah. so much of it. They did like <laughs> 50 projects or something this year, and everything very inventive, very fun, very warm and human. I, I, I just love their work. So I agree with sh- you. Yeah. Big shout out to domestic data absolutely, streamers. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had a few new books, right? So um, the highlight for me was Tamara Mansner's book, which I use in class and have been using earlier with the preprints. Uh, I'm really glad we have this book out. And Tamara has been working for many years on this book, and uh, it's very solid. And um, I think it's been a, a great, great new book for me and using it in classes. It really made a b- big change for me. Um, I think it's a real textbook for, for 
for visualization courses, especially those that are more CS oriented, even though I have to say that the book doesn't include any um, overly technical stuff. So it's um, it's good for everyone. But I think the way it's or can organize this reflects the way uh, visualization people in academia mostly see visualization. So I think it's a great development there. Uh, what else? Andy, Robert, are there other books over there that have been published, notable books? Well, there are actually two on storytelling and presenting data, which is interesting. There's Stephen Evergreen, which is with this book, Presenting Data Effectively, Communicating Your Findings for Maximum Impact. And then Cole Nussbaum on Netflix uh, on Storytelling with Data. That's the actual title of her book. And I don't know Stephanie's book uh, at all, really. I've only leafed through it, but it looks certainly interesting. She's got lots of good ideas about how to make things simpler and clearer and how to show your data well. And But I know Cole's book a bit better because I actually reviewed that. And uh, it's, a, it's a good introduction into how to how to turn your your your, your charts so it's mostly fairly simple charts but how to get those to really be the maximum impact like how do you reduce obviously she likes to reduce a lot of things to so reduce the colors reduce the labels reduce and and, and reduce the you know the, the, the scales and things like that and only show the things that you really care about and i think that's very important so it's a very a very minimal Mm -hmm. minimalist perhaps approach but I think mm -hmm. it works really well because it really gets your attention to the it's very accessible yeah oh and it is very accessible it's a great book actually it's very well written yeah and I mean you know Stephanie and Cole are both um, you know uh, practitioners who work in the space of doing workshops and training courses yep. for yep. you know normal organisations so it's, it's a book that's not for or not intended for experts. It's about getting people up to that next level of their of their work in in nonprofits, in in smaller organisations, and, and and large organisations as well. But yeah, it's it's a nice addition to the uh, to the bookshelf. So one specific topic that I would like to know more, and I don't know if it's um, if it's included in these books, is more the um, narrative side of visualization and what are the existing techniques there. So do you guys, if there is anything like that in these two books, or maybe other books that I don't know not of. that I'm aware of right? but I, I find that this area of visualization is not very well developed right now no. and it would be really nice to have someone presenting I, I think we have to go beyond data encoding that's of course very important but there are many many other components there so just curious so do these two books include this part not not in in any kind of direct way yeah no they're they're mostly about how to how to make the point that you want to make stand out. Okay. But yeah. there is actual narration I haven't seen in any okay. book and really haven't seen covered very well in in anywhere. <laughs> There's a lot of work on on narration in general, but not with data that I've seen. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Robert, do you have any plans next year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not next year, but you know, maybe you should do point. it, Robert. <laughs> I would yeah. buy it. I mean, speaking of which, I think the year in books has been slow. I mean, honestly, I mean, Tamara's books is amazing, but I sort of knew that before. That's like a huge way. effort, though. I mean, she's yeah. been working on this for like eight years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's and it. I mean, it, she delivers for sure. I mean, that's like the book now, and so that's that's cool. But the rest is, I think, it was a bit slow. But the, I think we can expect big things for 2016. So yeah, I hear a certain Mr. Kirk is writing on something. Yes. Uh -huh. um, this is this is a a book that's been <laughs> dominating my year and you know kind of 
killing me to a certain degree this year, but um, due out in May, it's a Sage published book, and it's it's about looking at visualization as a process, um, which is kind of what I do in all my training and teaching and writing, really. Um, but once again, it's it's pitched at non-experts. Hopefully, it will be accessible to intermediate and, exp- and, and experts as well, but certainly aiming to give people a, a sense of the kind of practical way forward to apply visualization to people's workflows with a, you know, a real, hopefully a real sense of all the different options that exist, charts, color options, interactive features, and then the, the kind of the mental capacity for them to judge what's the right choice in any given situation. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that coming out next, uh, next May. Cool. So it's the missing manual. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's the final piece in the jigsaw. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Alberto Cairo just tweeted he's almost finished with his follow up uh, to the functional art. It's now called the truthful art. Um, we'll see if there will be a third part, the, the mildly interesting art, or <laughs> <laughs> well, actually there will be a third. Uh, you didn't see that tweet. Uh, he's he already said that his PhD. He's he's going to be working on his PhD starting I think sometime next year. And yeah. he already said that there's going to be a book, and he even had a title, but I forget what the title was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, expect more books <laughs> from Alberto. He's not going to stop. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to stop. He's, He's a machine. Team He's of a robots. Machine. Yeah. <laughs> and then there, there will also few... be a Dear Data book, so um, that that's great too. I think it's so made for for being a really nice book, and I'm, I'm really looking forward for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. And then I guess we're kind of be outing a few people who we know are writing books that aren't ready yet, but. <laughs> I know Jorge Camos is working on a book that mm. that should be uh, interesting. We don't know when that's. I don't know when it's coming out. Uh, and if you knew, you no guys pressure know now. I yeah. don't think and it's far <laughs> off, and it's specifically about Excel. I think so. It'll have a big. Yeah, that makes sense. It'll have a big audience amongst kind of business users. I think. Yeah. And John Schwabish is doing one. Um, I think. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. About presentation, I think it's. Um, I can't remember the exact outline of his book but I think it's more about the kind of presentation of information and visualization mm-hmm. but also through presentations themselves like powerpoints yeah, yeah. yes oh, that's yeah that's much <laughs> needed too yeah absolutely yeah so what happened in 2015 in terms of blogs and related stuff right I think enough like, about old media <laughs> let's talk about this old medium <laughs> there is this there are these two guys that are still blogging around <laughs> <laughs> That's all 2005. Man. <laughs> yeah, newsletters is the future. No, but seriously, I mean, um, it's, great, pigeons. <laughs> it's great to see that you guys keep doing this and it's uh, an amazing service, but it's also interesting to see that nobody else is doing it, right? And uh, at, at, as far as I know, because it's a lot of work, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, what is going on, Robert? Well, so. Andy just won a major award. He just won the Information is Beautiful Award for the best website, I believe, is the category. That's correct. Uh, Congratulations. So congrats. Nice that's, one. That was Thank you. Thank you amazing. very much. Um, so that, that's great. Also, this year, Visual Complexity, which has been around, well, it's now 10 years and it's gone. Or it's, well, it's still there, but he basically stopped doing it. Yep. Uh, so there are a thousand projects on the site uh, and, it's, and it's the 10 year anniversary. And I think at this point, the whole thing will be frozen, a bit like yeah. <laughs> like Infostatics, which is also frozen now, even though it will take <laughs> some purpose. But uh, that's an interesting development to do that. Uh, we had a number of... But that's a huge achievement. Like we, oh, yeah. for sure. Yes, yeah. yes absolutely. It's huge. No, yeah. And I think this idea of having an archive is certainly useful. 
the problem is in five years, it will be incredibly out of date. So hopefully yeah. he'll be picking it back up or I don't know, somebody else will fill in. But uh, but yeah, it's certainly a, a, a big effort and I can understand why, why people decide to just kind of put a, a capstone on it and say, okay, that's it. Um, and then this year, there were a number of, of Reddit uh, AMAs, Ask Me Anything. There was Alberto, Tamara Munzner, I did one. Uh, there was Nate Silver, Hadley Wickham, so a few more notable, pe notable people than me. David McCandless did one, <laughs> Nathan Yamak, Bostock. There was also the Andy and Andy one, that was Andy Kirk and Andy Cotgrieve uh, doing a very <laughs> interesting thing there. Uh, and uh, a number of things. And I think it's good because this shows that blogs or not, that there is interest. People ask questions. People want to know things about process. They want to know what you guys think of this and of that. And so there, there is a lot of, of conversation to be mm -hmm. had, but the channels are changing. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's good and bad. I mean, I, I, I like blogs. I, I like the way they work. And, and I, I hope we're going to have them for uh, a while longer but but obviously there are other things going on especially on twitter and in other places that are that are taking over some of the some of the that work and then of course eager eyes is still around so i <laughs> i slowed down a bit over the summer but i've been writing again and i certainly want to keep this thing going it's been nine years now so i'm going to be 10 uh, oh, eager wow. eyes will be 10 years old next october so uh you can already put it in the notes for next year's show. Flowing data is still around too. Yeah, I Nathan's as prolific as ever. Oh, yeah, of, oh, of course. course, yes. Yeah. And he's very active. Yeah. yeah. Full yeah. speed. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. It looks like the, the market of blogs uh, stabilized around uh, really few ones. And um, I'm really curious. What's your opinion? What do you think is happening? Is it more that there's no no space for more blogs or people are just switching to other media or i think for instance i i found really interesting the idea that some people are posting visualization stuff on medium mm. so rather than opening a yeah. whole new blog you have something interesting to say you post it on medium and people can see it and read it right so what is going on what is your opinion on that well I mean, certainly from my perspective, you know, my my blog is my shop window, in in mm -hmm. effect, um, and so it's a very different situation for me than it would be for, say, an academic who doesn't necessarily need to post articles on their blog to to kind of maintain their presence in the field. Um, but obviously, Twitter over the last four or five years has been such a dominant place where we've been. Although it's not the best place for conversations, it is the place where things are being conversed about. Um, which is why I think it's interesting that the the popularity of those Reddit AMAs I think gives you the the impression that people are looking for those places to have that kind of conversation, um, which which Twitter just isn't good at. Um, so you know, for, I think from my perspective, I think you know I will still keep blogging because it's it's as much for me. It's, it's as much about me writing to to shape my own convictions about what I believe in and don't believe in. Um, but I guess for other people, and you know, Andrew with Infosthetics is probably a case in point. Perhaps you know the academic world is such a busy world for him that he maybe doesn't have the time or capacity or ultimately the need to do it. Yeah, even though I have to say that, sorry, Robert, um, it would I would love to see more. Uh, blogs or related stuff published by academics like myself by the way <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> i'm really like talking to, to myself but there is not a lot of um 
information about what happens in research and uh, uh, how to connect research to practitioners. I think this is still a big uh, gap. Robert? Yeah, totally. And I think so. I just wanted to comment on on what uh, Andy just said about Twitter. I think the what happens is that that medium becomes a bit of an extension of Twitter, and so that that and because it's also really well done. It's really it's just it just looks good. It's it's pleasant to use, which isn't the case with all the blogging platforms, even though they're they're getting way better. Like WordPress is really good now, and yeah. uh, and, and Tumblr and and a few others, and maybe. Some people just don't care that much about trying to set up an identity for themselves. So then you just put it on Medium, or perhaps they expect more of the of the people who might be following them to already be there on Medium and see their things. For me, it's hard to see what's going on because Medium is such a huge place that it's really hard to know. So who mm. should I be following? And yeah. some of them just write one thing once and then never again. So it's, it doesn't really lead to a conversation or to a longer thing. But I, I I also hope that there's going to be more of it coming. And some some people, you know, there's a new thing, a new blog here and there, but they all tend to just kind of fade after a very short time, which is too bad. Yeah. Uh, but I've been I've been bemoaning this for a while. I don't think it's going to change. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go with it. But I, I yeah, I hope that that at least a few that are around that are active will stay active, like Andes and and Flowing Data and others. And I already mentioned podcasts at the beginning. I think that's a big trend. I just want to quickly mention, of course, there is the Policy Viz podcast uh, from John Schwabish. I guess that's new. That was created in 2015 or maybe a little earlier. So I just I think it's to... it's a bit over a year old now, but but it yeah. certainly became much more prominent and yeah. uh, and I think he really figured out what he wanted to do this year uh, and it's it's really interesting. It's a really good podcast. So policy is 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 a good one to follow. Yeah, and uh, I personally really like Data Skeptic in the area of the new data related podcasts. There are a few one, new ones out there. Uh, most of them are heavily based on machine learning. I think Data Skeptic has a good balance and also much more accessible than the others. Uh, it's a really, really good one. I really, really like it. And what else? Yeah, the, just a shout out for the Tableau wannabe podcast hosted by Matt Francis oh, yeah. and Emily Kuhn. So this is... Um, Naturally, this is a, a Tableau-focused podcast, although they do discuss broader issues. But I think it reflects, as Robert will be very clearly apparent, um, you know, there's a huge community around Tableau. There's a huge community of people who are sharing ideas and talking about Tableau and best practices. It's, it's such a lively set of people who, who, um, who contribute some really interesting stuff out there. So this is a nice podcast that Matt and uh, Emily do quite frequently, actually. Yeah, so it's been a great year for podcasting, for sure. And yeah, let's hope it continues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, moving on. So uh, talking about software libraries tools uh how has the landscape changed what's what's your perception robert you do work for a tools company so <laughs> maybe you have some insight yes of course now the the company guy gets to talk about tools Finally. so the there are a number of things that that need to be mentioned for sure so of course there is a new a new tableau product out there which is called visible that's uh, spelled in an interesting way it's v i c or set a b l e the idea is that and it's a, it's an ipad program so the idea is that how do you do visualization on an ipad and do it well so there are a number of visualization tools for iPad, but they're horrible mostly. And some of them just basically import things that you can create somewhere on the desktop. But Visible was really built 
as a, as a research project, actually, first to see how would you do a touch interaction at all, and then and then started super simple, and then and then kind of eventually turned into a little product, and it's actually free. You can just get it on the app store and start playing with it, import your data, play with it, and and just and just. Uh, Figure out uh, how to do a touch interaction in in it, and it's it's a really neat neat new new way of doing things. But so that so speak this was speaking of new things. Speaking of things that are no longer around, <laughs> there is uh, many eyes which has been folded into Watson Analytics. So I, uh, many eyes was, I think, a really important project for how we think about data visualization and how how people started to really get into data viz in general. So many eyes started in early 2006, I believe. And at that time, it was really hard for people to to create good visualizations. And they gave people tools on the web. This was all written in Java and then later in Flash. And it made it possible for people to uh, to just get the data in there and, and do things, some of which were kind of obvious, like bar charts and line charts, and some of which were really unusual. So they did some really good work around text visualization where you could create networks of characters in a book and so on based on certain uh, structures in, in the sentences. And so uh, now what the, the new... So earlier this year, I think in maybe May or so, or June, IBM announced that that they were going to end uh, the support for many, many eyes as many eyes. And now what you can do is you can get a free uh, user for a version of Watson, which is uh, the analytics system that, that IBM has, which is a huge system that does all kinds of things. And uh, we'll see how well it works for actual data analysis for kind of more casual users because what, what many eyes did well I think was it made it really easy. That was a very simple startup and I haven't actually used Watson myself. I've seen uh, a few talks but I haven't actually used it to say what it does. But I, I'm just I'm just a bit sad that this 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 community uh, around many eyes is is going away. And and the research that they did was really, really good. It was a lot about mm. not just visualization itself, but also how do people collaborate and so on. So that 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 was really interesting. And and of course Martin Wattenberg and Fernando Viegas, who were the main people behind it, they've long left and now at Google. And uh, so the the whole thing was still was already kind of an empty shell for several years. But um, but yeah, so this is kind of sad end of this of this project, which which I think was really remarkable and then was really important. However, there are also good news. So <laughs> downer. <laughs> Don't want to be too much of a downer here. There are some really interesting new developments. Of course, there's D3 is is just getting ever more popular and ever ever better. So Mike Bossler keeps working on it, which is great. There's also the work that uh, Jeff Hare is doing with his uh, students and with Trifecta on a thing that's called Vega and a Vega Lite. These are, and, and there's another thing that's uh, Vega something, something that are basically ways of specifying the visualizations a bit like in D3, but, but less as code and more in a declarative style. And then doing things on that, 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 that make it super efficient and even include things like interaction and so on. And then there's also a new player here that is called Brunel, which is, uh, which came out of IBM and that actually was supposed to be the future of many eyes, but they've now just, just made it a separate thing and, um, and released it as open source. And Brunel is based on the grammar of graphics, which is this book by Lee Wilkinson that describes a way of thinking about how visualization 
can be specified in a in a general kind of language, and uh, and and does more. Of that. I haven't actually tried it myself. I just saw it. It was released maybe a month ago, so I haven't had time to actually look into it yet. But it's it's a different way of of doing things than Vega or D3. It would be interesting to look at what that what that's like. And then there are a number of, of tools that people are building that are researchy tools. There's Voyager, which is also coming out of this cloud around Jeff Hare and his, his students. So they're building a lot of really interesting things. Voyager is a tool that's sitting on top of Vega and that's trying to give you better ways of exploring your data by giving you individual um, views and then kind of guiding you through those based on, on what it thinks you would be interested in and, what, and the feedback you give it. And then, of course, a big problem with data visualization is that you need to get your data into into your visualization tool, you know, to start with, and that can be really tricky. And so there's this this term that's called data wrangling, and uh, Trifacta, which is Jeff Hare's uh, and other people's uh, startup, that does that kind of thing. They re released a free version of their of their data wrangling suite, I guess, that is called Trifecta Wrangler, I think, or the Trifecta Data Wrangler. And it's free. It's, it has some limitations, but for most you know, regular people's uses, it's it has plenty of space to do work in, and it lets you do all the things that, 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 uh, that Trifecta does with cleaning up your data and reshaping it and so on. So it's really cool for to be able to get your data into a shape that you need for for your visualization tool or your, your visualization program. So there are a lot of really interesting new things that are happening in that space. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. And all these last four points were from Jeff Harris. <laughs> <Why the, laughs> a close environment. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that's uh, a lot of stuff. yeah that's, that's, that's quite an output. <laughs> and yeah, Trifecta could be really interesting. It might fill the gap that Google Refine uh, has left in terms of simple tools for cleaning up messy data, which is always needed. Um, you said D3 is going strong. It's true, but there's, I think this year it turned really out that React.js is the go-to web development framework. And it's kind of interesting because um, it does not play that well with D3. And that gave a lot of people mm. a lot of headaches. And I think the declarative languages you mentioned could actually be a way out of that because they fit much better this markup style that React.js brings with it and the virtual DOMs and so on. So that could be interesting looking forward. Um just a final remark. I think it's been a great year for cartography and with Mapsan, CartoDB and Mapbox, there's three really strong companies mm. in the mapping space now and they, they just operate on such a high level and continue to innovate really well. And I think that's, that's super exciting. Yeah. Great. So shall we also briefly talk about what events happened and maybe even specific talks that you guys uh, enjoyed. Um, of course, there are some of the recurring events, like we already said, talked about Tripoli, Viz, IO, Visualized, and so on. So, Robert, you want to start? What are the major uh, highlights there? Sure. So, I, I really like OpenViz. So, the, this was the third time, I think, this year, or yeah, this year. And it's, uh, it's a really good conference that is based around open technologies like JavaScript, like uh, D3. And it brings together people doing very technical stuff. So they have these things like looking like, I think last year there was one on uh, React versus Angular and so on. And, but there's also, uh, they have people there talk, like me talking about storytelling and, and about all kinds of topics. And it's a really good mix of different people doing different things. It's a really great conference. It's going to be, uh, I think in April or so. 
uh, in Boston again, and uh, it's just a really good one to go to. And then, of course, I'm, I'm biased here because I am uh, one of the organizers, but the Tapestry Conference uh, is also going to be in its fourth year next year, and it's uh, a new well, a new-ish type of conference around storytelling in particular. And we have some really interesting speakers uh, there. And uh, we're trying to really focus it very much on the storytelling. So we're very picky about who we, we get as speakers and also even on the people who we uh, invite to to speak but or to, to attend, I mean. So we're trying to really make it a very cohesive group of people. And it's working out very well so far. So everybody seems to be really enjoying it. Um, and so that, that's, that's another good one, I think. And yeah, And then, of course, there are lots of other things around yeah so last year you had a really good lineup i remember and wh who's coming next what are the main speakers for 2016 yeah so for 2016 we have scott klein of propublica yeah uh, nice. we have uh, nick susanis who wrote this great book called unflattening which is a, a comic about how to think in in terms that are going beyond our usual kind of understanding of comics and jessica hallman to talk about uh communication and uh, nice, and, very and, good. Uh, nice. Storytelling. So yeah. this should be really good. And we and we have we, we still have slots open for short stories. If you want to give a talk, you can apply, and we'll, we'll we might pick your talk. So <laughs> nice. sounds good. <laughs> I really enjoyed Visualize this year. So that was in New York. It was good again. <laughs> that was fun. Have, that was fun, and they have a great format with very short mm. talks. Lots of people, very dense, very packed, and super organized. And yeah. It's a great conference. Um, and then I also enjoyed uh, Resonate in Serbia and Art and Bits in, in Katowice in Poland. So I'm, I, I love Eastern Europe anyways, and I think really good things are happening there. And I, that's one of the things for me for next year. I want to go to a bit more unusual places, like not just New York and London all the time. <laughs> so Boris, have you been to that, that conference in Romania on storytelling? No, unfortunately not. But they I'm really are, tempted to go next yeah, year. Yeah, there was also something in Budapest, and there's there's really interesting things going on in this uh, yeah. uh, part of the world. And yeah, nice, Andy. Anything from your side? Yeah, well, this year I had a self-imposed ban on attending conferences <laughs> <laughs> due to due, due to workload, specifically the book. But um, from afar, at least the the talk that I. Uh, so a video of that light in particular was from uh, Lena Groger from the uh, uh, from ProPublica. Mm -hmm. She did a great talk about um, the use of kind of loops and re repeated devices and 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 gifs and animation as a way to kind of explain things. I thought you know, it was just really super way and and such a deep and broad set of examples and 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 an example that really really captured the essence of what she was she was talking about. So I always love Lena's talk. She does some really interesting very specific themes but they're always really interesting talks so yeah that was that was my my single kind of contribution to this section <laughs> so the tv version of the contract right. the armchair viewer <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's been it only remains the outlook of course so <laughs> can you make some wildly unfounded predictions about the future that everybody will have forgotten in a year anyways <laughs> Hopefully. The demise of the podcast. Last year we were like 50-50. It's like some of, our, <laughs> yeah. some of our predictions were quite accurate. Others not so much. But yeah, we'll leave it to you to figure that out. But do you have any hunches? Like what's going to be big? 
Storytelling is going to be big. Of course. It's, <laughs> it's huge, man. <laughs> it already is. And, and there's more stuff coming up. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm biased and I'm, I'm working on this kind of stuff. So hopefully there will be more of this stuff coming out that I'm doing and, and that I'm working with people on. And then I'm, I'm sure there will be more. Actually, in fact, there is a, there's a Darkstool seminar on storytelling in uh, February. And which is important because that shows that this is becoming a topic that people actually have meetings on that are completely separate from, from the regular conferences. So it's becoming its own thing. And, and I have some, I have a piece coming up in, in this viewpoints in the CGNA journal in January, February that, that talks about this and, and hopefully more, uh, as well. We have some stuff under review right now. So there's, it's it's a very easy prediction at this point because it's really happening, but I think that we will see more of in that in that area, and obviously also from the journalism side. I think from my perspective, it's perhaps less about a theme, but more about the opportunities that the next year brings, which is we tend to see this kind of four-year cycle around the presidential campaign, uh, elections in the US where there's some, obviously there's a lot of preparation time, everyone knows when it's going to happen, and so it's always fascinating to see what kind of new approaches the the big players in the media take in terms of coverage and new ways to look at the the polling and the the kind of projected kind of outcome of these things and also if you remember last last time there was a lot of work around simulating the kind of swing states and where you think the the outcomes may be so the the elections there the olympic games i think is uh, is in rio next year so there's obviously you know hopefully there'll be some more good stuff around there so i think it's more about the you know continuing the trend as we're going along but hopefully we'll see some real standout projects in those in those situations. It's going to be a busy summer for some people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Personally, I think we will see. I mean, that has been the big trend this year, partly as well as like more analog representations, more playing with photos, playing with unusual tricks, playing with spatial situations. Like I think more installation works, more situated stuff, locative stuff. Mm. Um, just moving away a bit from the desktop screen based things I think that's going to be big because everybody's everybody's waiting for that and everybody's so it's being received so well when anything interesting in that area happens so I think there will be much more and I'm I'm personally much looking forward to that Enrico how about you what do you think yeah I already mentioned some of these things I guess machine learning is very big so I I can imagine this doing a lot of stuff there we should so if you're listening to this, do more this for machine learning because that's going to be big. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what is going to happen in the VR space. Uh, as we said, I mean, um, this in 3D VIS or virtual reality VIS doesn't seem to be easy or even effective, but I guess people will experiment with that. So um, this might actually be a big trend in 2016. And, uh, and I wish that w there would be even more collaboration between researchers and practitioners. This is already happening. I think we are, we already made a lot of progress, but there is more to do. So <laughs> let's I get do that. along okay with you by now. So I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 65 some episodes progress. Later, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's it. And uh, yeah. So I wish that we are going to have another long series of great episodes as well. Um, maybe even more than last year. I think we are on a good trajectory. I would say so too. And it sounds like a great year. So we'll see. We can maybe do a little reality check next year and see how much of that uh, came true. <laughs> yeah.
Meanwhile, enjoy the last few days of 2015. I guess everybody's busy wrapping up and have great holidays. Yeah. Thank you very much. And a great start to 2016. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Andy and Thank Robert. Thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure. It's always yeah. fun to have you always here. Always great. You Thanks didn't guys. fight much this time. That's that's pity. <laughs> oh, more fighting next year. Oh, yeah. More fighting next year. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find those tensions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Talk soon. Bye bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. I also want to give you some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast. And we now also have a newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox, go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link that you find on the right. One last thing I want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest way to improve the show, amazing people you want us to invite, or projects you want us to talk about. So do get in touch with us. That's all for now. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Data Stories. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories.